This is Ann Arbor Stories. I'm Rich Reddy. On their deathbed, no one ever says, I wish I spent more time at the office. A quote about working in an office goes, 30 years have I served the Philistines, and my neck is not subdued to the yoke. You don't know how wearisome it is to breathe the air of four pent-up walls without relief day after day. That was written in the 18th century by a clerk named Charles Lamb, nearly 200 years before the invention of the most dreaded piece of office furniture ever invented, the cubicle. Imagine what Lamb would have written in the 1960s. The cubicle, the three-walled cliché surface to which so many hang-in-there-kitty-cat posters are affixed. The cubicle, officially known as the Action Office 2, was invented in Ann Arbor. That's right, the yoke around the neck of white-collar workers everywhere was conceived and birthed on State Street, no less. Now, the office isn't a new thing. Back when Charles Lamb worked for the East India Company in the 1700s, their headquarters was a buzzing hive of bureaucracy and paperwork. Offices back then were huge rooms packed with long desks, rows of men all facing the same way, surrounded by mountains of paper, all in plain view of supervisors who maximized productivity and minimized luxuries like breaks, holidays, and jibber-jabber. Companies and office designers softened throughout the years, trying to make things a little more bearable for the common office worker. Water coolers, coffee, Muzak in the elevators. One office innovator, a brilliant inventor, worked for the furniture company Herman Miller, made famous for the invention of the marshmallow love seat, the Noguchi table, and the Eames lounge chair. Founded and headquartered in Zeeland, Michigan, Herman Miller Inc. created a subsidiary called the Herman Miller Research Corporation. They put an office in Ann Arbor, put down roots at 2285 South State Street across from the University of Michigan Tennis Center. In this unassuming one-story building, they put the inventor in charge and named him president. His name was Robert Probst, and right in that building, he'd invent the cubicle. Probst was a versatile inventor. He had already created a new kind of heart pump, a quality control system for concrete, and a vertical timber harvester. He was hired and tasked with one mission, to find problems outside of the furniture industry and to conceive solutions for them. The Herman Miller Company believed in human-centered problem solving. One of its core missions was this statement. The most important thing in the room is not the furniture, it's the people. Probst was hired specifically to think about anything but furniture. So he did. In 1960, Probst saw the U.S. office as a wasteland. It saps vitality, blocks talent, frustrates accomplishment, he said. It's the daily scene of unfulfilled intentions and failed effort. Offices in the 50s and 60s were mostly open spaces with rows of desks out in the open, often surrounded by closed-door offices for executives. Typewriters and phone conversations creating a steady din from 9 to 5. Probst wasn't a fan of the open office plan. He felt that office workers needed independence, so he designed a three-walled office system that could be customized to any floor plan. The system he created offered privacy and an efficient workspace, 
but didn't allow for much in the way of storage or surfaces for clutter. So Probst also designed storage spaces and office features to encourage workers to stand and move around the office, not just sit and type and talk on the phone. In 1964, Herman Miller introduced the Action Office. Think versatile, functional cubicle walls, but prettier and not designed to pen people in. But it was bulky and complicated and expensive. The Action Office never took off. Probst went back to his State Street drawing board. Four years later, in 1968, the company launched the Action Office 2. The second version was more interchangeable and customizable, providing personal privacy and, in practice, still allowing the worker to interact with their colleagues. But Probst made the new Action Office system too customizable, its components too interchangeable. It was never intended to be used as a cube, but cubes take up a lot less space. Office planners took the Action Office system and used it to cram the maximum number of bodies into their previously open floor plans. They ignored elements of Probe's design that were intended to balance privacy and openness and instead maximized office space. The cubicle came at a perfect time in the history of the office. To stimulate business spending, the U.S. Treasury reworked rules for depreciating assets, making it easier to write off the cost of office equipment for tax purposes. Depreciating office furniture could be written off every seven years, but permanent structures like walls couldn't offer tax breaks for 39 and a half. And cubicles counted as furniture. So companies all across the United States started calling Herman Miller and ordering truckloads of Action Office 2, stuffing floor plans with the maximum number of workers and looking forward to sweet, sweet tax breaks. Herman Miller sales rose from 15 million the year the Action Office 2 launched to 25 million two years later. Competitors copied the design, leading to price wars and cheap knockoffs, segmenting office after office after office with these cubicles. The cubicle was becoming the dominant office layout plan through the 1970s, but it was the 80s and 90s that brought it to dominance. With a peak in corporate buyouts and mergers, offices grew and contracted quickly, necessitating office layouts that could grow and shrink with manpower and payrolls. Cubicles were the perfect solution. By 1997, it was estimated that 60% of America's white-collar workforce worked in cubicles. Probst, who left the company in 1980, was mortified by the bastardization of his invention. As the Action Office system made Herman Miller millions, he watched as depressing versions of his dream spread to offices across the country. Probst intended to give workers a more flexible and fluid environment, not rat maze boxes. In 1997, Probst was interviewed by the New York Times about a growing revolution by some of the U.S.'s biggest companies back towards the open office plan. When asked how he felt about his invention, Probst said, the cubicalizing of people in modern corporations is monolithic insanity. Probst died three years later. The cubicle did not. Offices around the world are constantly rethinking the workplace, trying to balance efficiency with employee productivity and morale. But the cubicle will not die. May never die. Herman Miller still markets the action office, 
but with brighter colors, lower walls, see-through panels. But it's still a cubicle. Nearly 50 years after the Action Office 2 debuted, it's still in action. Sectioning call centers, sales offices, anywhere there's fluorescent light and the need to cram two tons of office workers into a one-ton bag. Thanks, Robert Prost. Thanks, Ann Arbor. Ann Arbor Stories is presented by Rumblepack Media in partnership with the Ann Arbor District Library. This episode was written and read by me, Rich Reddy, with recording and sound production by Brian Peters. Special thanks to everyone at the AADL for their ongoing research and support of Ann Arbor Stories, and to you, our listeners. Please follow us on Twitter at Ann Arbor Stories, or drop us a line at Stories at gmail.com. We'd love to hear what you thought of this or any of our episodes. Maybe you have an idea for a future podcast. Maybe you just want to say hi. We're fairly nice guys. Thanks for listening.